Welcome back to another episode of the Velo Chumps podcast. I'm Eric Poli. Chad Locker, you definitely passed a milestone with your bike this week. 10,000 miles on the Amonda. Good job. And that's impressive, considering it's not the only bike in rotation at any given moment. So It is. Yeah. So, so Chad, is that the bike with the most miles that you have? No. no Which bike I, is that? Uh, I think my, my all-city Mr. Pink has the most miles of any bike. And that's, the, that's my 15,000-mile bike, which is pretty impressive, considering it's only my winner beater. That's awesome. But for many winners, I guess. A couple, since it was new. Mike Green, how you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Just came back from uh, watching my daughter at swim at nationals, and uh, unfortunately, I had about five days off riding, and somehow I almost got injured by sitting in uh, stadium seats. But otherwise, that, that sounds about right for you. I think we'll get back to that later in this podcast. Actually, <laughs> well, you know, it's, with- I swear it's one of those things with athletes where you stop exercising and stuff starts to show up or creep up in your body and mm-hmm. you're just like what the heck is happening yep yep so so mike which bike is your high mileage bike hmm. well i would have said the athos except that uh you know that was replaced with the s works under warranty so right now it's it's the uh, the gravel bike has probably got 3000 miles on it the athos probably has the marin yeah Yes. So the but uh, the headlands. I'd say the uh, you know after I got that uh, LA this this year, the LA and the Athos have got to have similar miles. They've got about similar quantity of rides on them. That's awesome. Ryan Brainer, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you, Eric? I'm good. So, which of your bikes has the most miles? Uh, my LA Sprint Disc has the most miles. Does it have 10,000? No. So actually, I never used to put my bikes in the gear section of Strava. I only did that like six months after meeting you guys. So Mm. in Strava, it has like 4,000 miles on it, but I think I'm probably closer to six. All right. Catching up there to Chad. Good good work. Good work. That's important. That's an important note for the listeners is you track your bikes on Strava so you can make notes of... Uh, chains or miles on your hubs and your wheels and your tires, etc. Yeah, like you, you get a hundred miles on your tires because you use your uh, you lock up your brakes instead of. Um... Well, you know that's a that's a very specific technique to save the brake yes. pads. So. Mm-hmm. Right. But does Ryan track his running shoes as well? Like, do you have ten thousand miles on a pair of running shoes? That'd be a lot. You should be changing your running shoes before you get to 10,000 yeah, miles. Yeah, it's, but... it's not a running podcast. Randy Nicewonger, <laughs> how are you doing tonight? It was a taxing day. <laughs> Great. So which of your uh, which of your bikes has the most miles? I'd have to say the Venge. Definitely the Venge. Awesome. I'd have to put it, put it somewhere around 6,000 miles. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Fantastic. So, before we get started on the our topics of the podcast, I just want to make one comment here. So, the Velo Chumps, we discussed this early in the beginning of the very first episode that we're not journalists, we're not in the industry, and what that means is we relied on cycling media to give us information that we can discuss on the podcast and bring you guys a cool and fun show. So, if we want to know what's going on with bikes, and we're relying on the cycling media... It doesn't really do us any good if the cycling media in general is basically a dumpster fire right now. And it pretty much sucks. 
So what we would recommend, the chumps would recommend, is check out a new thing called escapecollective.cc. You can sign up. They're going to be a different kind of media company. And what's good about that for you is it'll get us the information we need to continue to run this podcast for you. So check them out, and hopefully you'll find something you like over there. So this past weekend, we had a little bit more racing. We moved from Belgium to Italy, Strada Bianca, men's and women's, some cool races. Now, like I said, the Velo Chumps, we are not a race podcast. We're not going to give you the analysis of the race because we don't really, we're not experts in that. But the women's race was super exciting. I would definitely recommend getting a, trying to find a replay of that. It was an, It was a very exciting race. But the reason we're going to bring up the women's race is because there was a specific event that happened towards the end of the women's race that I've never seen it before in a race. I mean, I've seen things like this, but I've never seen this particular thing happen in the race. And uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us about what happened? So there's clips on this everywhere and memes on this everywhere. And um, a local horse got out and you could hear there's a clip. There's... Um, was it Lepecki or Demi? That was, was Demi. Demi. Anyway, so they're riding, and you could hear her go, ah! And <laughs> then there's a horse in the middle of the race behind the lead moto just sprinting down the road, and everyone has to avoid this horse. And then, like... Not everyone. The horse... There's just, just Demi. She was the only one that well, was... <laughs> well, but, like, there was a moto in front of the horse because it was on camera, and then the horse, like, veers off the road and trips and falls, and, like, supposedly it's okay, but maybe it's not. Who knows? But I think what we need to highlight here is a horse on the course in Italy. I don't know what it is about Italian <laughs> road racing, but the number of events that you and I have watched where something a debacle has happened in Italy, I don't know what it is. I, I kind of feel bad for them, but let's see. For our viewers who do not watch UCI World Tour racing, there has been a helicopter on the course that has blown cyclists off because it got too close with camera coverage. I believe, Eric, you and I watched another race where – a motorist got onto the closed course oh, the yes. kilometers and hit a cyclist. Yep. And not only that, but he got back up and finished the race, which was amazing, a la Mike Green. His, yeah, um, his name is Mike Green. Green. <laughs> but, it, but for some reason, poor Italy has these issues with their races, and I don't know why, but they do. I kind of wonder if Demi should have been docked points because clearly for there was an error in it for drafting the horse, right? So did that mean it was a draft horse? Well, Chad... The the UCI rule no thirty nine point she did slow down the gap she had so just to set the scene Demi Vollering was chasing the leader out in front of the race Kristen Faulkner and she had about a minute gap and after the horse incident she had a one twenty gap so she did slow down a little bit but the interesting thing about this for me is that so they're racing this is a professional world tour level this race is one of the big races of the year this is not like you know a race that we're doing in manhattan illinois this is one of the biggest races of the year they're racing down a road in italy and a horse gets loose and just riding down the road right but i think the part that about that i think the thing that's most interesting about that is that it just shows you that our sport in cycling our arena or our stadium or whatever you want to call it, our playing field is literally the roads that we can go on every day. So 
you know, a lot of people might think, oh, I would, I, you know, Mike, I don't know if we, if you guys have this in Illinois, but I grew up in Pittsburgh, but you know, when you're in the state finals in Pittsburgh, you get to play in the, um, Heinz field for football. So you get to play on the same field that the, the Steelers do. Right. And it's such a, it's such a cool thing that if you get to the, to the final, you know, if you get to the, the upper echelon game, you get to play in the big stadium. Right. But in cycling, we can go whenever we want and ride these roads that are the arenas of our sport. I mean, we can ride up the Alpe d'Huez if we want. We, I mean, obviously we have to get a plane ticket to France, but we can ride up these iconic arenas of our sport. So it's really interesting that our sport just happens out in the, in, in the regular world. So is any of you, so Chad, what's a part, what's a, what's a race parkour that you want to go ride your bike on? I mean, this weekend would be fine, right? I, I, that area around Tuscany looked fantastic. I love San Remo, Milano San Remo, which is coming up, what, in a week or two? Mm-hmm. That's another, that's another great one. It, I mean, Italy's not bad. I mean, to be honest, a lot of these venues that you'll watch on World Tour, they're just, they're phenomenal. But I guess to the people who live there, that's just their roads, right? So, yeah, but I mean, you could say the same thing. I mean, I think that's what makes cycling unique among a lot of sports. I mean, you guys are doing Leadville later this year. I mean, is uh, Christopher Blevins going to be in that race? I don't know who that is. There's going to be a lot of. I would guess he is. I, I don't know. Yeah. I would guess he is. But I mean, you might be lining up more or less next to this guy. I mean, he was the short track cross country world champion in 2021. So, I mean, these are legit racers and you guys are going to get the race the same course possibly along alongside of some of these people that are you know the the you know heroes of the sport or whatever which is it's just unique i feel like that's something really cool about cycling and i think that it's something that you know we shouldn't take for granted i mean we can go ride the the roads we can go ride the same you know do do the same efforts that these pros do and even compare ourselves to them it's it's so what you're you're describing is is what i experienced and i'm sure randy and and all these other iron men have experienced is uh one of my half iron mans that i did when i was probably only five miles onto the bike course i saw this guy coming at me at like 36 miles per hour and he was the leader of the pros and it was a guy who i follow online and that's lionel sanders and Pretty much the exact same thing that Eric that you're describing of feet, that sensation of being on the course with the pros. You know, I don't get to play ice hockey with, uh, you know, right. Ovechkin um, or or play on the same ice as him within the same ten minutes. But to be on a, a bike course as a, a cyclist, whether it's Leadville or some you know some other major gravel race in the U.S. right now, yeah, it's it's an, an awesome sensation. Even if you're 80 miles behind these guys, it's cool. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I was going to say to echo that, when we went to Intelligentsia Cup last year, we walked around the course and, you know, watched each corner, and you could, like, walk right up to these guys' tents, like people that we follow, people that we look up to. We sat there, and, like, you could have a conversation with Kendall Ryan or CJ or, you know, like, like how cool is that? Like, you can't just, like, walk up to the ice and have a conversation with Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taze, right? But well. You One of the problems is that even crit racing in the U.S., which is 
it's more popular here and it's cool. It's just not popular enough, you know. So these people aren't as celebrity as the the NHL players. But that's what we're trying to change here with the Velo Chumps. We're trying to encourage you to get interested in racing. So, Ryan, you were mentioning earlier that we think that sometimes the women races are more exciting than the men's. And I really believe that professional women's racing is in a specific period right now where it's almost like a golden age. I almost feel like it could be the best period of time to get into women's cycling right now. And part of the reason for that is the teams are still not as big as the men's teams. And unfortunately that has to do with a lack of funding and a lot of that has to do with a lack of TV coverage. So this race, we just discussed how exciting this women's race was. They showed a little over 40 kilometers of the 136 kilometers of that women's race. And that is a lot for a women's race. Sometimes they're only showing the last 20 kilometers. The inaugural Paris-Roubaix women's race, they didn't even show enough of it to show the winning move. By the time they cut to it, the leader was already off the front and stayed off the front for the entire race. We didn't even get to see how it unfolded. And it's sort of unfortunate because these races are so exciting, but one of the byproducts of them not having as much money in the sport right now is they don't have as many riders. And what that means is they can't have as many specialist riders. So they have a lot of riders that are able to race in multiple different parkour, whereas in men's racing, you have super specialized racers. I mean, you have your ultra climbers that all they can do is go up mountains. You have your sprinters that all they can do is sprint. And then, you know, you have someone like Tade Pogacar that is able to do some of all of that. And everyone thinks that he's like the next Eddie Merckx because of that, because in the men's peloton, there's so much specialization, but the women's, they haven't got to that point. And there's such an exciting feeling in the peloton. I mean, you get to know the characters because the same racers are in it for a lot of the different stages, a lot of the different races. There are some specialists, of course. I'm not trying to say that everybody is an all-around racer, but there is a fantastic dynamic in the women's peloton right now. And I really hope that people catch on to women's racing because it is so exciting. But I also feel like once they hopefully get over the hump and they get the the funding they need and their teams are as big as the men's teams, I feel like you will get to more specialization. You will still have fantastic racing, but there's something about right now in the women's side that was so dynamic. It's so exciting. These racers are just in it to win it every week. It's not like Jonas Vingigo that races like three races a year because he's focusing on the Tour de France. These women are in it all year. You can get behind them. You can follow them, and it's just something to behold. And I would definitely recommend... If you're on the fence about watching racing, get into women's racing now before you miss potentially the golden age. Saturday was super fun to watch. What'd you think, Chad? You like the women's race? Yeah, I could I couldn't agree with what you just said more, right? I mean, for this year, what Tour de France, we had three weeks of it, and I think we had a follow up week, which was the women's version of the what Tour de Tour de France Femmes mm-hmm. at the end. It was every bit as exciting as the first three weeks of men's racing in my Oh, opinion. absolutely. So I, I echo your sentiment fullheartedly. It is at this this turning point where the series hasn't maybe, let's say, fully matured because of the funding. And I do think we are at a, a very unique 
place to watch the sport develop. So yes, we, you know, a decade or two from now, hopefully we can talk back about the golden era or the magical early years, right? And see how the dynamics have changed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I feel like in 30 years, women's cycling is just going to be, I mean, you're going to see some of the best women cyclists of all time when they do have that ability to specialize and you're going to have incredible performances that we've never seen before. And there's going to be that level of excitement and there's going to be a different kind of excitement. But I just would, would, I would just feel sorry if someone miss the chance to watch what's going on right now in the women's peloton and only catch on later you know you know the other thing is there's so much tradition and history with many of these established races on the men's side that they're reluctant to change the format or the formula for a lot of these races and i don't know that those rules apply to the women's mm -hmm. races so yeah like tour de france you know usually ends you know in france right but i don't or in paris well but i don't i hope <laughs> Right, sorry, in Paris, but I don't think the women's race, correct me if I'm wrong, or they sometimes start in Paris, but maybe don't, at least this year, I don't think they finished mm -hmm. in Paris. I think they started with the men, and so I think they're even changing up the format now. So they're not set in these rules. So we can have races sort of structured in the same way that we've seen, kind of like the monuments and the classics on the men's side, but they're not beholden to those rules. So I think we can even have some really fresh perspectives and yep. some unique versus maybe that we haven't ever had before. And so that's... That's kind of cool too. For our for our listeners and and for me and Randy, you know, what would you guys recommend? What is what's the best or most all encompassing <clears throat> subscription service to watch bike racing? Is it GCN Plus or oh is it Flow? God. I I keep hearing both, but I mean, I guess I'm I'm curious which one is better or has most of the races. Or, well, or Peacock. I, I'm obviously the wrong person to ask because I subscribe to all of them like an idiot. So. <laughs> That's a, but that's a problem. That is a problem with our is. sport is number one, you can't, you know, even if you don't subscribe to all the streaming services for regular sports, you can usually go to the bar, right. And watch your favorite football, baseball, whatever sport it is. You're not going to have that with cycling. Unfortunately, it's so small that you have to subscribe to a streaming service to get some of it. And in Eric's case, you had to subscribe to all three to get all of it. Um, and Flow bikes is a is a bridge too far for me because of the price, but um, so I have what is it? Peacock has Tour de France has a lot of the bigger UCI races usually around Tour de France type, um, and then I think you what got GCN for the secondary kind of the big major European races, but then you have to get Flow for which is it, Eric? Yeah. The race associated with Flanders. Flanders, I think it is. Flanders Classics. Yep. I mean the short version, Mike, is for someone technical like you is to get GCN and then get a VPN that you can trick your computer into thinking you're out of the country because GCN has the Eurosport rights and they pretty much broadcast every race at least somewhere in the world. So as long as you can VPN into that country as your virtual IP, then you can watch the race on GCN. So that would be, that's the easiest way to do it. Obviously I'm the, the non-racer enthusiast of the group along with, you know, I think Mike has even a little bit more enthusiasm about it. The one thing that I will say, and this kind of goes back to the golden age discussion that you guys are having about women's racing and this particular race that we were referencing earlier with the horse. I will say, I, I intentionally looked up that clip of the horse because I was interested to see how it all transpired. I, I kind of was upset with myself because I was thinking I might watch the women's race. We talked about it beforehand. And I was kind of upset because you missed that whole initial reaction of seeing something so outlandish happen in a sporting event you actually you actually already knew what was going on so you had to go look for the clip 
So I think that's something that, you know, had some level of appeal for me, although I still didn't watch it live. Well, there's not a horse in every race, but oh, if you watch an Italian <laughs> race, there, there, there's chances are there's going to be something, right, Chad? Well, I, what, I, I guess what I was trying to say is, is that, you know, the, the unknown happens in live and you get the nice quick reaction or the, the initial reaction. You don't actually get that. You don't get that if you do the, if you go look for the clip. Sorry, Chad. I made sure not to watch it all day. And I think Eric had, probably has the text on his phone, right? We were all kind of chatting that night. I watched it on replay, and I'm like, what the, where is this horse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to move on here. Chad, have you ever, have you recently thought to yourself, I would like to create some unique experiences Plural, in, in particular, create unique experiences. Have you thought about that? I really don't know where you're going with this. What? Are oh, you, you don't? Well, no. if you were to make creating unique experiences into an acronym, it would be C U E S. Oh, is that what that stood for? I that is know. what that stands for. <laughs> Apparently, I did not research it nearly as much as possible. I just wanted to know if it really was going to work on any of the bikes that I actually owned. So are you talking about Shimano's new Qs? I am. Sets, plural, I think is how it goes, right? I am. Oh, yeah. So what did you find out about this, Chad? Is it going to work on your bikes? I guess currently, since I've got a fleet of 11-speed bikes, it would be fine. But it, it, it sounds like what Shimano has done is... Or at least what they are claiming to have done is they're going to replace most of the what they're calling a mid-tier group set whatever that means to you for mid-tier i mean that could be a pretty expensive group set if you've never got into cycling let's be honest um but these are things like the dior group set and let's say lower in price range and potentially this is going to i guess they're saying this could go into the roadside which would be tiagra and sora as well they're going to replace them with like one unified system being that it's based all around the current 11-speed chain. Now, that doesn't mean all the group sets are going to be 11-speed. So there, I guess the top end of Qs would be 11-speed using... What's that? That's got to be on your side, Ryan. It's got to be Ryan's. Side. No, Ryan's on mute. Randy's on mute. Yeah, I was muted. That wasn't me. Oh, that might have been me. I was looking up. Oh, my bad. Sorry, you can start over. I was on a different computer. I was looking up Shimano Qs, and it started playing some theme music. All right. Good Thank Lord. You. That's all right. I can take it out. So just keep starting over. I can take my track out. I mean, just just talk about whatever. I'll cut you back in where right. you left off, kind of. All right. So so eleven speed. So it uses Qs uses the eleven speed chain. It doesn't mean all of the group sets apparently are going to be eleven speed. It just means they're going to use the index spacing, let's say, of eleven speed. So for example. If you're going to have a 10 or a 9 or, I guess, potentially an 8-speed group set on the bike, what that really means is it's an 11-speed cassette kind of minus two ratios at the end, if you can envision that. So the gaps in the current form, gaps for 8, 9, and 10-speed are get progressively smaller as you go higher in the cassette. So the number of, what, millimeters between spacings in the cogs gets infinitely smaller. So they've just decided, fine. We're just going to make an 11 speed indexed system. We'll just lop off gears as the system gets cheaper. Apparently the advantage for this, that they're claiming 
is that bike shops then only need to stock kind of one chain for the vast majority of the bikes in their fleet because apparently queues will replace the vast number of consumer group sets. So they only need one chain. In theory, they'll just need various cogs for the bikes. And I guess they'll probably share derailers and then maybe the shifters will be unique. In concept, I think it sounds great. I'm not sure with what we just went through with the pandemic, if that would have like helped bike shop inventory. Because one of the things they're claiming is an advantage for this is that bike shops need to have fewer parts in inventory in order to kind of service the customer bikes that were coming in. I think during the pandemic, we probably had all kinds of weird bikes coming into the shop. So whether you had cues or not probably was irrelevant in that case. Where I could really see this helping out, to be honest, and quite frankly, is Shimano, right? Because now they get to make one chain that'll hit <laughs> the vast majority of bikes that they're going to make group sets for. And they get to have kind of one set of derailers, potentially, or maybe two or three, whatever, whatever that may be. But significantly less parts inventory on Shimano's side of the fence, let's say, to manufacture and sell in the entry. I, I, I guess it's wait and see. Is this really going to make the user experience better? I'd have to imagine the vast majority of beginner and mid-level bikes, it, it didn't really matter what the group set was on the bike. Did the bike look cool and does it actually work? Great. It works out for them. I'm, I'm going to be a wait and see attitude. Will cues be the salvation for the mid-tier bike problems if such things existed? I don't know. But that's apparently what cues is meant to meant to solve. So then if they're all going to be on 11 speeds and you get a very entry level bike shop bike with a Sora, say equivalent, whatever. So it's a nine speed cues, right? Okay. Does that mean, Chad, that you can later on simply buy a set of 11 speed shifters and then you have an 11 speed bike now instead of a nine speed bike? In theory, that's kind of how I view it, right? Because the derailleur, I mean, derailleurs, for all honesty, are kind of group set or shifter agnostic. Mm -hmm. So if they're all meant to work with 11-speed indexing, I'm assuming as long as you have a set of 11-speed index shifters and a free hub and a cassette cog that has the extra gears. So let's, let's for sake of argument, say you bought a new chain, you bought a new cassette, you bought a new shifter, then yes, I think you could convert from an 8, 9, or a 10-speed up to 11, which apparently is the highest... Um, that Qs is going to go at this point. Well, that actually sounds interesting for the consumer, right? Because you don't have to buy an entirely new group set if you want to upgrade. If you get into bikes at a nine speed and you want to go, you know, say, hey, maybe I want 11 speed, you can, uh, I mean, of course, not like us, not like everyone's going to go to Dura Ace, you know, but it does provide an interesting opportunity maybe. I, I think so. I think if someone really kind of gets into cycling and they buy a mid-tier bike and then want to upgrade it over time, I do think this Q's system could allow it to go there. So I apparently I was Q's ahead of Q's being a thing because at one point I was really cheap with my cyclocross bike, which only had a 10-speed free hub. And there used to kind of be a hack on Shimano. If you tore their cassettes apart, you could take out kind of one of the middle of the cassette cogs and then put the spacer behind the cassette. So if you can envision this, you basically take an 11-speed Shimano cassette, pull out, for sake of argument, the 16-tooth cog in the middle, then take the spacer that went with the 16-tooth cog and stick it behind the very last cog on the cassette. You could fit it back onto a 10-speed free hub. And then if you set the adjustment screw, you could run it with 11-speed shifter. So I had a set of crappy 10-speed wheels I wanted to run on one of my cyclocross bikes, and I did this. So basically, you force your 11-speed shifters to not use the final click mm -hmm. in the cog. So basically, I was 11-speed indexed 
on a 10-speed cassette. So apparently I was cues ahead of the curve about five years ago. Hey, hey, I, I just you're... I just want to say that Randy does that shit by accident. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You can bleep that out. That was also, way ahead of cues. That was Chad's really long-winded way of saying he was just trying to optimize his chain line. Right. Yeah. For those of you listening at home, don't try to do what Chad just said. It's not going to work out well. It's it's not a good idea. Don't try it. It really only has value if you have like a really high-end set of 10-speed wheels that you do not want to upgrade the hub on. That That is about the only reason you should do it. But I didn't even have that good excuse. I had just like a set of 105 wheels I wanted to play with. So that I'm in no good camp for this one. Wow. That's amazing. So, all right, Chad. Thanks for telling us about cues. For the rest of you on the, the pod here, the SRAM fans, what are you guys thinking about this force ups upgrade that uh, just came down the pipe? I need somebody to, to give me their two cents on it or explain what it is. This is just the uh, the latest force where they've changed the hoods and that kind of thing, right? Yep, just yeah, the for- mean, latest force release by SRAM. Some of you guys know more about it than me, but my main takeaway is the most favorite hood ergonomics are the rival hoods and people did not like the force or the red hoods and matter of fact randy mentioned this the other day there's people building really high-end bikes that were still using rival hoods with their red drivetrain or their force drivetrain out of ergonomics and so they made the force hoods smaller to mimic the rival hoods i love this announcement because this is like classic shram business model i'm not, I'm not like upset about the business model, but the current force and red ETAP hoods, they're no different than the 11 speed ETAP hood. So when ETAP kind of came out with a disc version different from the 22 double tap, when they finally went ETAP disc brakes, I think they called it HRC. I think that was the acronym they used for it. That exact lever shape lever hood is what became the AXS or the AXS, whatever they call that acronym for the force and the red. So like SRAM is a habitual reuser of mm-hmm. kind of their, right? If you went back to double tap, force, red, rival, they are all the basically the same guts. It's just, if you bought force, you got a carbon fiber blade for the brake lever and a carbon fiber blade for the shift lever. And if you went rival, it was alloy for both. And if you were force, I think one of the two, maybe the brake lever was carbon fiber and the shift lever was alloy. And someone can debate me on this, except for the fact that they're all sitting in my basement right now and I've torn half of them apart, and I interchange all the parts. So they're all kind of the same. So the fact that now the rival shifter has now become the new force shifter, they just put, what, a carbon fiber brake shifter on it? That is like the classic SRAM I'm like, oh, yeah, of course they were going to do that. So newsflash, red is going to come out. Red is going to have a rival hood. Red mm-hmm. is going to have carbon fiber shift button and a carbon fiber brake button. <gasps> Who saw well, it coming? <laughs> Who saw it coming? You're so right, and it, and it goes backwards, too. So when you look at the new SRAM Force crank set, right, the crank itself, when you look at the chain rings, they mimic the SRAM red chain rings and made it backwards compatible now with the, with this, with the new SRAM Force chain rings. And I actually did that on my newest LA build. I, I like the, the SRAM red crank set better than the – or chain rings, rather, than the SRAM Force access chain rings. So I have a SRAM red chain ring on my new force build. Well, I do want to comment on the point Randy just made that they did take the technology for the chain rings from red where the two chain rings are the integrated 
direct one piece, we'll call it chain ring. So if you have the same problem, it's the same problem with red. Now, if you wear out your chain rings, you can't just go buy individual ones and replace them. So the big problem with that is nowadays, everybody is riding with power meters, especially people that are riding on force or red level components. It seems like, right. And I think all of us are on power meters, right? Oh yeah. Yep. Anyone, anyone's not on a power meter. No, Randy has like 17 different power meters. But so only 16 of them work. <laughs> 16 might be too generous. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I meant, one of them work. I meant it the That's other what you way. Meant. Yes. <laughs> 16 of them don't work. But the problem with that is that if you do wear out your rings and you have the integrated um, spider power meter, you can't take the power meter out of the spider. It, you're screwed. You need a whole new power meter with your with your new chain rings. But so nice enough for SRAM, they will give you a 10% discount off a new power meter with chain rings when you need to buy new ones. Wait, is it 10% or 50%? I thought it was more than 10%. Yeah. Because that's what I was going to bring up is I was like, well, at least they give you some money so, back or discount going into the next. So I'll read set, this but... to you. This this is from Bike Radar. In fairness to SRAM, it does have a power meter recycling program to avoid this creating unnecessary electronic waste. Original owners of such power meters can also trade in ones with worn out chain rings for a 10% discount off a new power meter with new chain rings. However, this is significantly less than the 50% discount on red access power meter replacements and the trade in process only covers like for like meaning you can't change chain ring sizes. So, well, frankly, that's not good enough. I don't think so either. I would agree. So I'm curious, I'm curious, you know, Eric or Chad, would you suggest somebody who never works on their bike, should they have a chain checker at home for their own reference? And would it would you consider it that simple for a, a non-mechanic to say, yeah, I should check my chain at home. I should purchase the $20 park tool to to check if it needs to be replaced yet i would i would i would say even if you're not going to work on your own bike and fix your own chain or replace your own chain the you know the chain checkers a lot of them are just a go no go kind of gauge right so if the chain checker falls into the chain that indicates to you your chain is is worn i would say go ahead and get that it's so cheap i don't know what are they on amazon 15 20 bucks probably for a regular generic chain checker I just, and just paid less than $15. Yeah. So again, you're going to pay your shop more than that to service the chain, number one. So it's a, it's a good thing. But two, if you replace the chain earlier, you're not going to replace the cassette cogs and the chain rings and everything else associated that the chain touches that it's also wearing out. So even if you don't want to work on your bike, just check your chain regularly. And when the chain checker says, hey, you've got a significant amount of wear, now Take it in and let the shop deal with it. I don't I don't care if you fix your own bike, but you probably don't want to fix the cassettes and the chain rings and everything else that go with it. A chain is cheap even for a bike shop to put on. Well, and I relatively I would I would add on to that as well that even a an extreme novice like myself could uh chop chop new chains and and install those chains for anybody within 10 minutes basically. So you, you don't have to go to uh, an extremely experienced local mechanic that, that's working on bikes, whether it's Eric, Chad, or Randy. To, um, and in the same respect, you don't have to bring it to your shop to put it on a new bike chain. But 
it does sound like it's something that's simple that everybody should have a checker or a buddy that's got a checker and they should check it on at least an annual basis, right? An annual? Yeah. Look, so you should wash your chain if you're using the if you're using your bike, you should wash your chain probably at least every two, three hundred miles. You should give at least a degrease in a wash if you don't do a full full on bike wash, at least degrease your chain. And you should check the chain every time you wash it. Just be part of your routine. You wash the chain, you check it. Like Chad said, if it drops in, you need to replace it. It's not a big deal to replace a chain. If you live in the area around us, bring it over to my place. I have multiple chains. Some of the, some people that have got their chains uh, replaced by me can attest that I even gave them a selection. Do they want a 105 chain or a Dura-Ace chain? I have so many chains sitting in my parts bin. It's ridiculous. It's pretty... It's just pretty dumb, the fact that I am like a local bike shop inventory. But whatever. I mean, I have a bunch of chains laying around because you don't want to be without one. They're easy to do. And if you uh, if you don't want to change, change your own chain, like Mike said, I'll do it for you. Someone else can do it for you. And uh, in fact, we can show you how to do it. It's really pretty simple. But definitely, you should check your chain every time you wash it. And you should wash it more often than Randy does. Are you going to show people? How to change their on a podcast? I'm just I'm trying I'm wrapping my head around this. No, area. no, I said if you live in the area and you can come by my garage, I'll show you how to replace your chain. What I want to know for so we we talked about like the fifteen dollar chain checker that is all that is required to check a chain. Yep. But Eric, what do you have? Is there like an Abbey version of no. a chain checker that is like two hundred and seventy eight dollars <laughs> and I could own a fleet of chains for this but the precision of this tool is immense no i just want to believe it or not believe it or not chain checkers i've got the park tool cc4 15 chain checker not a big deal now i would say that the cc4 which is a three-prong chain checker it accounts for the chain tension so it it is a more accurate checker than the the two prong one or one of those ones that has the little like arm that you twist to get to get the measurement if you if you really want a precise chain checker you want to get a three prong the cc4 or there's a pedro's model with uh with a three prong i don't know the pedro's model number but that three prong one is the only one or the only ones that would be accurate with a um 12 speed axis flat top chain as well so those are going to be your best uh your best bet so green you have how many different gauges setting up a SRAM chain on their derailleur? Like, <laughs> they have like, I don't know, three to five million different versions, depending on the derailleur you have somewhere. I I have to get out of my micrometer because I won't buy their little plastic gauge. Has SRAM not come out with like a SRAM dedicated chain checker that they will sell you for like $80 for the flat top chain? Like we're still using park tools for this. Like what? I feel like SRAM is missing out on the people that now have to buy double red chain rings for their force that they don't get the sh- official SRAM chain checker. Well, there's really only, and there... I would, I would buy one. <laughs> yeah. I would buy one. Well, especially if it was, if it was labeled red, you would definitely, would. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it would come in oil, right? Oil slick colors to go with the red chain. Yeah. And they would say just for people with OWPS pulley wheel system. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to buy two. <laughs> for the, uh, definitely it, it sounds like the cc4 I don't, and i know you're giving me crap chad but it sounds like the cc4 is what's used commonly for all the sram access people so 
I mean, so I've had my, so I just converted my crux to two by, put a brand new chain on it. And I've, um, since I did that, I probably have less than 500 miles on my crux, but I've been riding it on the trainer for the last two weeks since my bikes are in the shop. And I got this chain checker and the crux is the only bike I have in my basement right now. So I checked it and it's already stretched. Like, like less stretched than that you need to replace it? No, no, no. But it's, I mean, it's not, it's less than 500 miles. <laughs> the other stretch. But I mean. Wait, how do you even know that? That chain checker is just a yes or no. It doesn't measure the percent or amount <laughs> of stretch. It it's either yes or no. It said maybe. Well, it's. And let's, but, let's be clear here. You're not stretching the chain, folks. You're actually wearing out all the yes. individual yeah. plates. You're getting yeah. slop in kind of the bushings of the chain. So, We're not stretching metal here. I really want to talk about Ryan's bike, or more, to be more precise, Ryan's hypothetical bike of the minute. <laughs> we could talk Did about you? that tonight, for, but but I have we've, to go to bed in a couple hours, Chad. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> we've already talked about my bike shopping on here. We don't need to elaborate. I've had some it, listeners I, say that you, uh, you, you seem, you know, confused about what you want. So I, I think am. we have that's true, and that. that's why I haven't pulled the trigger yet. So, so Ryan, give us the bullet points of what is the perfect Ryan bike and, and then maybe give us a, a 30 second explanation why you cannot figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Go. I'm being, I'm being set up here. Um, the perfect Ryan bike would be, I want something lightweight that is easy to work on and not completely integrated and of the integrated bikes some are better than others i want a carbon wheel set but not hookless and not heavy as alloy wheels and i'd say that's my three main things i disagree the the fourth no i disagree there's a fourth point here to ryan's bike he needs to get all of this for $5. Yeah, because what you just described in Athos pretty perfectly, by the way. I mean, we, we tease him about this. But to be honest, there is a huge just total number of cyclists out there that are in his camp, right? They look at the specs. They know all the bikes. And then they look at the price and they're like, mm, maybe I don't want it that much, right? They have to have that deal or, you know, flat out. I'm not going to spend, what is it, ten grand, twelve grand now for an S-Works? I don't know. Add another two thousand. Yeah, more than it. that for an S work, or a or a Lab seventy one. Oh my god, fifteen thousand for that bike. I just feel like if I'm spending money on another bike, why not make it something like instead of just a beater bike on the trainer? Why not make it something cool that's fun to ride that adds to the experience of why we love bikes? Yeah, Most yeah. Like Randy, tell us about the bikes that you love and how they. Um, they're so reliable for you. Well, I never started a ride that I didn't finish. <laughs> makes That's no true. Sense. <laughs> no, 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 but, no. It's but, true. It's true. It just but, it just finishes five minutes from his house. There's just duration questions there. The last two uh, rides I've been on, Randy, have finished in less than a quarter mile from his house. Well. Not there was a, there was a medical issue on the first one. Mm -hmm. I did I did have a battery issue on that same ride, but <laughs> the reason why we stopped was there was a medical concern that we needed to address. I just happened to need to stop at the same time. Um, well, and you know, in fairness, yesterday when we were riding, Ryan, I will tell you, I had the LA 
set up because I was wait, wondering wait, wait. if you wanted to Which bark. one of which LA? <laughs> the, the Red Hook. I had the Red Hook set up thinking that Ryan may want to borrow it. I did ride that the night before. And then he's like, no, I'm not going to borrow it. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to change. So I'm setting the stage here. I'm going to change out the handlebars. So I started stripping it down to change out the handlebars. Well, I was like, well, I'll just take the Venge out. I had the Venge as a fallback position. And I'm like, I really want to ride this, the new LA that I got, the 2022 LA. And I'm like, I need a free hub for these Roval, you know, uh, CL50s that I just bought because I just sold my other Hunt Wheels that had the SRAM free hub. So I was waiting for a free hub coming in from Amazon, a DT Swiss. And I'm like, well, I have a free hub on my Alpinus that are on my gravel bike, Alpinist, whatever, however you say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm so glad you said that. Sounds like, think, that sounds like I something think, Spanish. <laughs> Randy okay. and I apparently are the same pronunciation of technical part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, Chad. Well, no, I've seen everybody's face, and I'm like, oh, I pronounced that wrong. Yeah, let you, me go. You're, let you me are definitely the Alpinist of our group. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, and I'm not even Spanish. Sadly, this is a this is a clean podcast, guys. Sadly. Yeah. So, anyways, the Alpinus. I had a free hub on the Alpinus, and I'm like, you know what? I'll just pull off the free hub and throw it on my on the CL50s. And so I did that. And what I failed to do is I failed to add the spring. The spring <laughs> fell. <and> I, <laughs> I heard. <laughs> and this, and so I rode the bike for. 40 miles without a spring in the free hub. Just, and the entire what? time, did, did you just he was writing a fix. So the, to the, so the <laughs> cogs were being pulled in. Oh, my God. Gears. Well, so he was the, riding the set, a, He couldn't freewheel the entire time he was riding a fixed gear bike. Like, anytime he stopped pedaling, his hub would not free spin. I love, I love that it's fixed gear, but it's multiple gears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> multiple fixed. You invented a new category. I did. Multiple <laughs> fixed gear. <laughs> we need don't to get t- this on the track. Yeah, don't tell classified. <laughs> yeah. So is that like so? Here's he the, had twelve single speeds. Is that what you had? <laughs> Here's what I did not share. Twelve single Here, speeds. Here's what I did not share, and, I, and I'm going to share with you guys only because we're amongst friends, and the the two viewers are not going to really care one way or the other. Listeners, but, it's a podcast. Listeners. Yeah. The two about the two listeners are not going to care. They're not going to judge me, but the, because it was spinning both ways, the uh, uh, the skewer or the the bolt was actually unscrewing. <laughs> I was riding it, <laughs> and so I stopped. I, I actually had to. I had to stop and go to the rest, use the bathroom, and so I could screw in my. <laughs> so I could screw in this. The hub you, oh my you, goodness! You didn't figure this out like a couple miles from home, and decide you should go back. <laughs> no, no I, we literally I, got out of his neighborhood, and he stopped like at the end of his neighborhood. I did, and then and you kept, kept riding. Yeah, and kept riding oh, I, twenty miles to breakfast. I said, "Screw it, let's go." I said, <laughs> wow. "I don't want to go backwards." I said, "I, I didn't, I didn't want the persecution of of having to go back and fix my bike." Wow. Which which we were less than 30 seconds away from his house, and he already <laughs> said his Venge was ready to go. <laughs> but was. like any true Velo Chump enthusiast, I will say I had to go in the ba- into Randy's house to use the restroom before we left. And uh, his <laughs> Red Hook Crit um, LA was in his kitchen, 
on a bike stand with parts all around it. I couldn't have been more proud. That's awesome, Randy. I didn't know that. That's, that's a great. So, so green speaking of good stories, I had multiple listeners ask me what we were talking about last week when we made, we were making references to, you know, bike failures at 28 miles an hour causing face plants. And and we kept making references that, that you knew what that was about. So we, I thought maybe it might be good to tell the listeners what exactly we were talking about there. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, you know, I think the first year that we started riding with Randy, uh, we kind of got into, and this might have been 2020, uh, we really got into riding a lot of long-distance rides. And for us, a, a long-distance qualifies, I, I would say, is anything over 80. And we would do our, mm-hmm. our urban exploring rides. And at one point, I think we said we wanted to do a century a month, you know. So. Yep. I think we got a, you know, a couple in for August, September, October, and I can't remember if it was November or December, but it was, it was cold. It might've been at 29 to 30 degrees at the start. And, uh, we went out and, you know, the approach for, to these long bike rides is to stop every 15 to 25 miles to warm up and, to uh, kind of get some fluids and food in your body and, uh, get back on the road. So, and yeah, real quick, another important aspect of these is that they are kind of go anywhere rides. That's important because we're on our gravel bikes because you didn't want to be limited. You just wanted to be able to ride. If you had to ride through some single track, we would do that. If you had to ride through, you know, a park, whatever we would do that. Right. It wasn't solely on the road and that's important for the rest of this story. Right. So we're all on our gravel bikes. Right. It, and he calls it spitballing. Mike, Mike right. will call it spitballing. Just kind of yeah, go no route. All, just kind of go. Road. Just start riding and see where it takes you. Right. Right. And that is that's the fantastic thing about using a a gravel bike is it's really an all roads bike. So we had uh, made our way over to Tinley Park. We got some breakfast, and I think we were about sixteen miles in. And what's kind of funny about this this little piece or the segment was. I think we started going one way and I said, yeah, you know what? Let's go back this way. I see a trail and it was a paved path and, you know, paved paths, especially if they're relatively new in the last couple of years, they're a a dark black. And, you know, we hadn't had any rain in the previous few days or any snow. Um, And I kind of led Eric and Randy behind me. And I think we were doing about 13 or 14 miles per hour. Oh, I was going to say not even that much. Yeah. It was low speed. And I I thought I considered myself a relatively athletic guy, but gravity sucked my body and my face to the ground in an instant. And, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely about four or five G's is what I think I've come up with. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, well gra- gravity, gravity moves at 9.6 meters per second. And I think you exceeded 10 or 20. Yeah. There, Mike. It was pretty significant. So, and and I'll I'll let Eric and and Randy describe what they saw. But I'll say that I've I've taken a hockey puck to the head, and I've had some other hard shots, and <laughs> I've had a guy do a two hand slash on the top of my helmet in hockey. And <clears throat> one of the common things that people do when they crash a bike, or if they're hanging out at a party and they fall off a deck or whatever they do, they <laughs> they pop right up and they say, "No, no, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm cool. I'm cool." But that day when I, when I crashed and after I bounced and I led with my face, which is the crazy thing, somehow that hit first. <laughs> and, uh, 
I laid on the ground and I scooted back and I looked up at Randy and Eric and I said, I need a minute. <laughs> I mean, look, I can only laugh about this now because I know that you're okay. I was terrified in the moment. And when you told me you needed a minute, I was like, a minute? I think you need a few days to recover from that, Mike. Well, I, I've never been I've never been more scared riding a bike than when I saw when I saw that happen. It was like some sort of horror movie where some invisible hand reached up out of the ground, grabbed you and pulled you straight down face first into the pavement. It was vicious. And I just I was completely shook. And like you said, it was 16 miles into the ride. We were planning on 100 and I was and I immediately thought, oh, oh my gosh, he's dead. Then you started moving, and I'm like, "Woo, woohoo! He's not dead. I guess we can go home now." So this—that was my immediate thought. This goes back to my comment about the the athleticism. Is I've I've watched bike races online or on TV, and I see these crashes, and I think, how did this guy not prepare for the crash? Prepare prepare for the fall. Throw his arms out. <laughs> do something. And that day, I was that person that did, I, there was zero, I, I, I think I had my hands still on the hoods when my face was smashed oh, yeah. into the asphalt. So it, that that's true. It, it definitely that happened true. in less than a split second. But um, I mean, I wasn't there for this, but we were on, Eric was on a ride where we there, a woman was with us and she fell. And to echo Mike's point, like it happened so fast, like there is again like your analogy like a hand reached out and pulled her to the ground it was not like there was no way to save yourself yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's brutal so <laughs> the the uh the crappy thing about that that day is uh i think 10 days before i had crashed doing a single track ride <laughs> and i had 10 stitches in my knee that were just removed the night before so i did i went out to the do this century with eric and randy and when I had fallen, I had somehow I smashed open my knee and it was actually ble- bleeding profusely, but it was fortunately I'd pulled up the, the, uh, the legging and there was no, uh, I hadn't torn open the previous cut. It was something new, which was, which yeah, was just made a new one. Right. Yeah. That, so that made me feel better. So the, we, I popped up after five minutes or so after contemplating contact to my wife and having her come out and pick me up in the car and I said, you know what? Why don't we just ride for like five or 10 miles? Or at least that's what I was saying in my head. And I don't know what Randy and Eric were thinking, but I thought, let's I ride. Thought you were nuts. Yeah, let's ride for five or 10 miles and see how it goes. And then, you know, I started feeling okay, except <laughs> the blood was coming out heavy. And uh, well, yeah. that was during the pandemic. So you remember where we went to get the, mm. the next stop was? Yeah. Starbucks. So we did stop at Stan's first. <laughs> they had just they just had an, a grand opening for their donut shop, and then we went to Starbucks and they kicked us out. So <laughs> yeah. even, we couldn't necessarily hang out in Mariano's, but we could walk around and get bandages. So then I put all the bandages on my knee, and uh, we continued on the ride and went to do some single track. We did some mudding on the way to to Waterfall Glen, and then we finished it up, I think, with some chicken from uh, Chicken and Spice that day. Yeah, we did yeah, the we whole did. century with the. Uh, Broken face and a busted knee. Yeah. That was good work. It's a good thing we had Randy, the uh, medical professional. He was able to administer the proper first aid and give you the recommendation that you would be fine to continue riding. So I think I said, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> if I remember correctly. Hey, hey I'll, I'll say, and this is both a positive and a negative, is having a guy like Randy on the ride 
whether whether he's lying or not, if he looks at me and says, hey, man, <laughs> you're going to be OK, I actually think, I mean, a medical professional told me I could keep riding. So I will tell my wife that and I will go. I will move on with confidence. So awesome. Well, I will say I will say that was the ride. If I remember correctly, first of all, I was shocked that the ice didn't buffer it. Because when you went down, you went through the ice. And when you sat up, Mike, you were actually still in the water. When you kind of scooted away from the water. It was cold. Yeah, I don't think the ice was very deep. I think uh, the layer of ice was just on top of the asphalt. Yeah, I think think it was mainly pavement or asphalt that you uh, took the brunt. It was. But I do remember thinking, it's cold. We're freezing. Mike just hit his head against the cement. We're done. We're oh, done. Yeah. So what I told you, Mike, is that you are done. And what I think you did, you you went against medical advice. It's actually AMA because <laughs> you, you decided you decided to go against medical advice. I was anticipating that your wife would come out. We'd all figure out how to cram three bikes into the back of your truck and I'll head home. But no, you decided that you wanted to go get donuts. And uh, we subsequently did bandage you up and you took a single track on a gravel bike, which, you know, summed up the day for us. We ended up finishing the the century in good form. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mike. What do you got, Mike? What do you got for us this week, Mike Uh, Green? So, you know, I've kind of exhausted my factoids and I've run out of pro tips. No, you 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 cannot be exhausted of factoids. You are the king of factoids. But if you have something else this week, that's fine, but I know you'll come back. With so this one questions. came across my feed today on my PR newswire. Uh, we all know that, you know, cyclists, especially men, uh, shave their legs. And of course, we have our entire group of guys who love Rafa. <clears throat> so on this PR newswire release, it says Rafa, the leading cycling apparel brand, is proud to announce a collaboration with Gillette the world-renowned manufacturer of razors on a new product specifically designed for cyclist legs. The new razor called Rafa X Gillette Razor, available only in Rafa's winning color palette, features a sleek and ergonomic design that it makes it easy to use both on and off the bike. Rafa Midwest Regional Account Manager says the rebranded woman's razor will have a 293% profit margin at $59.99, and they expect their Palace collab to, to be even better. <laughs> so there you go. You get a, For 60 bucks, you can get a Rafa a razor. GPT stuff. Mike, this, the sad thing is, if this thing was real, I'd probably buy one. <laughs> I had to, I'm like, is yeah, this real? Because, because <laughs> Eric's, got, Eric's getting an RCC one and and Randy's right behind him. That's the kicker. Sixty bucks. So what Eric, I want to know about our the fictitious co-branding here, is it Rafa X Gillette or is it Cross Gillette? <laughs> it's Rafa P B Gillette. I'm just reading it as it showed up on my feed today, Chad. So I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> Mike, Mike, was that Chat GPT? What was that? I mean, I, I mean it was just Google. This is a real news release. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a real we'll press Google release, it. Mike. When you um, when you came across, came across, <clears throat> wrote that press release. You you specifically had only me in mind, huh? I guess none of the rest of you came along board yet. Of well, uh, I know, I, I know. I'm I I'm waiting year. for the Chad is on board. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the Abby version of that. It's the Abby Razor. 
actually be anodized green Yo, and cost seven if, times what raffle one does i'm well, looking forward to that if one. if abby comes out with a razor i will pre-order it look, you can look, be sure. the, the only other option that i could think of for this pr newswire was <laughs> a super expensive 3d printed titanium version made by sulka and they they might charge two or three times what Rafa's going to charge. Well, they're going to have optimized razor blade heads, whether you're a sprinter or a mountain climber or yes. you know, an aero specialist. Yes. What Silka razors are going to do is they are going to actually, you, you, you pull them up on your shins and they, they create a specific buffeting pattern yes. to help the air, you know, reattach when it comes around right. the side of your calves i mean that that actually you, sounds you, like a great idea i think we should talk to josh portner and get that actually sounds here. like a real thing you would shave look don't don't shave any more than one or two hours away, <laughs> away from race time because it can't grow out so it needs to be at this specific uh you know sine wave of of your hairs going right but but you need like like ridges, yeah, yeah. kind of like arrow socks. You know, it's like certain parts need to be shaved and certain parts yeah. need to be longer, right? So like a three D printed cutout that you put on your legs to shave off <laughs> hair in specific regions. Exactly, exactly. Of hair if, for the air if, to build a buffeting. Yes, I can see it. If Sil see yes, it. if Silka makes that, I will definitely try that out. I would definitely, definitely get one I of think those. We're, I think we're losing our Velo Chumps viewers. Look, look, look. <laughs> there's, there's, we don't have any viewers, only listeners. <laughs> we just went like, from two to one. Hold on. At, at some point in time, somebody listening just. And that was Eric's Somebody wife. listening just contacted all their Rafa buddies, like, dude, you got to look up the razor. <laughs> It's even part of the RCC discount, right? Yeah. Oh my god. And you can get depending on which clubhouse you stop at all across the world, you can get like a different country. Yes. You know, like engraved ones. Right. All right. On that, Eric, I think it's time you wrap this podcast up. All right. If you like what you're hearing out there, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Definitely leave us a review or a rating. And definitely tell your friends about it. We would like this podcast to grow. Hopefully you like the stories. If you want it to continue, please help. Do your part. Share the podcast. Get us some more listeners, not viewers. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.